anytime I encounter a really, really old, hundreds, hundreds of years old tree, it produces awe in me. And I can't help but delight in it and also think of God the Maker. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello. My name is Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. Welcome to the show. A few years ago, just months after the Jesus Storybook Bible was first published, I got an exciting email from a singer-songwriter asking if he could quote from the book in his forthcoming album and on his Christmas tour. The album was called Behold the Lamb of God. The singer-songwriter was, of course, Andrew Peterson. And then Andrew invited me to read that same passage from the stage of the Ryman Auditorium. I read this from the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the centre of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Andrew welcomed me with open arms into the community in Nashville, and then onto the stage of the Ryman. And he hasn't been able to get rid of me since. I've read from the stage every Christmas since. Or, as I prefer to put it, every Christmas I play the Ryman. It was the start of a beautiful tradition and an even more treasured friendship. There was that time I travelled on a tour bus overnight with Andrew and Colony House when they were just starting out. I'm so cool, I can hardly even stand it. And then there was the other time, when Andrew and I toured together, telling stories in three languages, in song and word and music. It was so much fun. And once I decided, in my best British snobby generous way, because Andrew is an Anglophile, that I would teach him a thing or two about tea. So I bought him a proper teapot and some proper English tea, And he greeted me at the door with a fake English accent, and we enjoyed proper tea together. 
And even though I'm sorry to tell you no fake English accents are in evidence in this podcast, I'm thrilled you get to hear from Andrew. He is such a beautiful storyteller and he has great wisdom to share. We talk about gardens and the inklings, about depression and suffering, about trees and vines and hope and new life and stories and more. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and yours, Andrew Peterson. Uh, hey everybody, my name is Andrew Peterson. I am a singer, songwriter, and an author. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I kind of spin a lot of different plates and I'm happy to be here. I moved to Nashville like I think 25 years ago and started doing music a little bit before that. Probably 10 years in, I came to England for the first time and went to Oxford to the Eagle and Child, which was you know, the pub where C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams, they, they would sometimes go there and hang out and talk about stories, whatever. And I went there because I'm a giant nerd. The first time I was there, I noticed that the back room where they would meet is called the rabbit room for some reason. And I was struck in that moment by the similarities between the Oxford Inklings and the community that I had found back in Nashville. And I have to be careful because in no way do we think of ourselves as half as smart or talented as those guys. But there was something similar about the fact that these men who were Christians, Christ followers, who also loved story and art and got together. And that became the foundation of what became pretty rich friendship that also gave birth to these wonderful works of literature. And I was thinking back to my time as a young singer-songwriter in Nashville and how crucial community was and friendship was and how those friendships were part of what kept me going. It's not the easiest career in the world and you have plenty of opportunity to question your own sanity, whether you're working on a novel or a, a poem or a song or whatever it may be. And so I know that I leaned hard on my community of friends and fellow musicians and I was like, I wonder if we were, what it would look like if we were to kind of try to emulate some of the same things in Nashville. And so what that eventually grew into is this started as a website called The Rabbit Room, where we just tried to draw attention to good works of art, whether it was books or music or films, whatever it may be, and also to try to be better writers. And a few years into that, there was a conference, and then soon we started publishing books. And so 15 years later, we have this wonderful, thriving yearly conference, and we have, I think we've published about 35 books now. There's just all these spokes on the wheel of the rabbit room, and they're summed up pretty well in our mission statement, which is the rabbit room cultivates and curates stories, art, and music to nourish Christ-centered communities for the life of the world. And so the idea is that by curating good, life-giving, edifying, Christ-honoring works of art, that those things are nourishing communities of like-minded people, giving them courage and inspiration and solidarity and with the hope that then they will go on and continue to make their own things and all of this ends up being a way of loving this world that God so loved and uh, and drawing attention to him and his goodness. There's a chapter in Adorning the Dark, my last book, about our property and the way my wife and I chose to move kind of in an unconventional way a little bit into the countryside, into a smaller home to try to like live meaningfully in place. And so 
that meant I started keeping bees and gardening and, and learning to take care of the land and learning the names of the trees and planting trees on the property. And I had never been so like enraptured with the place that we lived. It, it gave me an excuse to look back at all the ways that God had shown his kindness and his presence to me through his creation. Turns out trees and creation are one of the uh, key themes in all of the story of scripture, whether it's the Garden of Eden and the trees there, whether it's the cross being called a tree in the book of Acts or the tree in the book in Revelation, you know, in the new creation. And so trees kind of became this like this motif that I explored and, you know, it gets pretty dark and fairly confessional about some key moments in my life where I was at in kind of the pit of despair and looked up and realized that not only were there trees, not only was God present with me through his creation, but it was very apparent to me that something significant was happening in me through the spirit. And so the book is this exploration of the way place matters and creation matters and that, that paying attention to it is a way of paying attention to the God that we worship. Right out of the gate in the book of Psalms, a righteous man who feeds on God's word is likened to a tree that whose roots grow deep and bears good and beautiful fruit. Jesus talks a lot about bearing fruit. It can't hurt and can only help to pay close attention and to take good care of these living kind of witnesses to what God is also doing in us. In America specifically, where we're less connected to creation than we've ever been before. Like most of us don't grow our own food. We don't know where the food we eat comes from. A lot of the food we eat is, you know, made with chemicals and <laughs> like we can't pronounce some of the ingredients. It's interesting, somebody pointed out one time that it's, it's helpful to pay attention to how many times Jesus, the Bible in general, but Jesus specifically uses agrarian metaphors to describe the work of God in his parables, the parable of the sower, I am the vine, you are the branches. Like I had this moment years ago where I was going through a kind of depression and it was a pretty tough season that lasted like three years. And when you feel like your life is kind of at a dead end, you feel like it won't stop raining and you're in this mud season. And then you go outside and you experience literal mud and you tear open the soil and you plant seeds and you realize that all this rain that's been falling and the turn of the seasons is part of what makes the flowers grow. It's part of what brings fruit from your garden in a literal sense. The garden didn't necessarily save my life, but it, it got me living again. I planted grapevines years ago, standing out under the arbor that I built, trying to figure out why my grapes weren't growing right and looked up on YouTube how to prune a grapevine. And I couldn't believe how violent the process was. Like, you have to trim it so far back. And I had been thinking like, no, 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 I want this to grow. I want it to, you know, how can it be good for the plant for me to cut off these beautiful leaves and the thing that seems to be giving the thing life? And then Jesus says very specifically in the New Testament, you know, that he, the vine dresser, he's going to trim back the stuff that doesn't grow fruit so that other parts of the plant will grow better fruit. And suddenly, you know, I'm struck with this realization that this season of depression that I've been going through is a kind of pruning that God doesn't cut us back. It may feel violent. It may feel unfair. But if our end goal is to bear good fruit, then we entrust ourselves to the Lord of the vineyard, you know? And so I understood that verse, that teaching in a way that I never would have if I didn't literally have a grapevine that I was literally pruning.
I don't think I had a sense until I was an adult that the earth is something that God loves. You know, like I remember vividly people saying like, oh, well, who cares? And, you know, I think sometimes Christians have this attitude that like, it doesn't really matter. We don't really have to take care of what we've been given. And that's just absolutely not theologically or biblically sound. That The idea that the end of the story is not that God scraps it all and makes something entirely new. He's actually making new what is already here. So this is a, a passage from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which I love. Jesus knew that God would always love and watch over the world he had made, everything in it, birds, flowers, trees, animals, everything, and most of all, his children. Even though people had forgotten, the birds and the flowers hadn't forgotten. They still knew their song. It was the song all of God's creation had sung to him from the very beginning. It was the song people's hearts were made to sing. God made us. He loves us. He is very pleased with us. It was why Jesus had come into the world to sing them that wonderful song, to sing it not only with his voice, but with his whole life, so that God's children could remember it and join in and sing it too. Oh, I love this passage so much. It's so beautifully written. I love the fact that it reminds us that creation has not forgotten its maker. And I especially love the fact that Sally points out this beautiful fact that of all the things that God loves in this world that he's made, really, he just, he wanted children. He's a father who wanted children. And so to be the crown of his creation and to learn what it means to be these like sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, children of the king of the universe who are rambling about on this creation, I look forward to the day when the song is unbroken and that we get to sing it fully in a new creation. Actually, God loves the world, his creation, his this planet, and the way that he meant for things to work here so much that Jesus came and conquered death and has begun this new creation with a new city, you know, a new place for us to live. I just think that's thrilling. And I just missed it for much of my, especially when I was a younger Christian, I didn't really understand what heaven was for. I didn't get it. But when I put it in those terms, I'm like, oh no, I don't have to wait for the new creation to begin living responsibly. Like if I really believe that the master of the house is returning, why would I not take good care of the place that he's given us to live? And so I think that it changes the way I think about community. It changes the way I think about, you know, sidewalks and and the way a city works and, you know, the way we build our houses and what a community is meant to look like and how we love our neighbors by taking care of things. So those are just a few of the ways that I think it really matters that we take care of the place that God has made for us. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at Sally Lloyd Jones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love.